So for everyone at some point in their life, there will come a time when you need to move on from something, but at the same time, you're not quite ready to leave. And the first time I really experienced that was my senior year of high school as I graduated. The high school I went to is called Nebraska Lutheran High School. As the name suggests, it is in Nebraska, and it is Lutheran. It was a Christian high school. As a smaller school, there were 25 to 30 people in my class. And the other feature about this school is that they had dormitories, which was good because my home was six hours away. So for four years of my life, except for the summers, I spent the entire year almost at school. Slept there, lived there, had roommates. And so there were plenty of memories that I made along the way. There was always the, the morning rush to get to the showers because if you didn't get there early enough, there was no more warm water. There was the times we had together in the cafeteria, three meals a day, and the one day of the year we all commiserated that they had to serve us salmon loaf. There were the sports teams, some of them we cheered on to playoffs, others we cheered even though they miserably lost. There were the weekends, the long, boring weekends where we had a room in the back with a TV and a Nintendo 64 and the best Nintendo 64 game ever, GoldenEye 007. <laughs> there were the heartaches of lo losing one of our classmates. And there was all sorts of joy as we went through four years of life together. And my senior year, I didn't quite know what was coming. Graduation came, we were happy, we were smiling, we were giving hugs, but I had no idea what was going to happen when I got in my car to drive away from Nebraska Lutheran High School one last time. I got in the car, and I did something that I never did in high school. I drove the speed limit. Because I was in no hurry to get home. I was thinking, this is the last time I'm leaving this place and I can't go back. It was time to move on, but I wasn't ready to leave. And you've had times like that in your life too. It was time to move on, but you weren't ready to leave. And some of you might be in that transition right now. It's time to move on, but you don't want to leave. For some of you, it was high school or college. For some of you, it was a summer camp. For some of you, it was a career where you changed careers. For others, it was retirement. And you weren't sh quite sure you were ready to move on. For some of you, it was a breakup. For others, a separation or a divorce. The circumstances of life made it so that you had to move on, but maybe you weren't quite ready to leave. And what I want to do for you today is show you from the life of Jacob how he knew exactly what that feels like when it's time to move on, but you don't want to leave. And by the end of the message, here's what we're going to see. I want to show you three things to keep in mind. When it's, when it's time to move on, and you have to move on, but you're just not ready to leave. And as we continue our series on Jacob and, and see how this was true for him and what we can take away from it, uh, just for those of you who may, might be tuning in for the first time, the, the, the account of Jacob is one where there is no hero. 
Jacob was deeply flawed. He was a deceiver and a manipulator, and we can't say much better for his family. Uh, his, his dad, Isaac, his mom, Rebecca, his, his twin brother, Esau, they, they each had their own dysfunctions, and the way they played off each other just led to a whole lot of bad things happening. And what we saw last week, or in part two of this uh, series on Jacob, is that J- Jacob deceived his twin brother, Esau. Uh, Jacob got the birthright from him, which we talked about in week one, And in week two, we we saw how he pulled it off by deceiving his father, Isaac, and stealing, getting this blessing from his father instead of Esau getting it. And all you need to know at this point is that Esau is angry. When he hears that his twin brother got something that should have been his, Esau came to one conclusion to make things right. And it's kind of eerie. He he basically said, "Uh, my dad, Isaac, He's not long for this world. We're going to be mourning him soon. And once that happens, my brother's going to be in the grave too. Esau planned to murder his brother, Jacob. And when their mother, Rebecca, heard about this, she brought Jacob to her, and here's what she said. She said, your brother Esau is planning to avenge himself by killing you. Flee at once to my brother Laban in Haran, way up to the north. Stay with him for a while until your brother's fury subsides. And then she says this heartbreaking thing that no mother ever wants to say. Why should I lose both of you in one day? Because if he murders you, he's out of here. But if you leave, at least I still have one and maybe two. So to put this together, Jacob, because of his actions has created the circumstances where he must move on. He has to leave. But he's not quite ready to go. And so what continues is, as we get into Genesis chapter 28, it tells us what happens as he takes those steps away from home, not knowing if or when he will ever get to go back. And here's what happened. Jacob left Beersheba and set out for Haran, and when he reached a certain place, and when you, when you read this, just know that the author is, is playing with you. Moses, he, he's playing with you. He knows the name of this place, but he's going to withhold it from you until the very end. Because if he had given us the name, his original audience would have been like, oh yeah, we know that place. But he's giving us the backstory for what makes this place special. So he says, all right, so Jacob left Beersheba, went to here and came to this <laughs> certain place. And he stopped for the night because the sun had set. Now, what would normally happen is for travelers, they would go find a town, a city, a village, and the, just the common courtesy was people who would notice travelers would welcome them into their home, like a hotel. You don't have a place to stay? Come stay with us. But, but Jacob was not traveling through cities or towns or villages. Perhaps he was just going the speed limit in no rush. He was okay being alone, thinking about what he was leaving behind and the uncertainty of what was ahead. And so taking one of the stones there in this certain place, he put it under his head and he lay down to sleep. Now, this seems like unusual detail to tell us how a guy went to sleep one night until we realize what happened next. 
So after he went, lay down and went to sleep, he had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven. And I'm going slow, just so you can picture this crazy dream. Oh, by the way, has anyone ever come to you and they're like, oh, I had a crazy dream last night. And I need to tell you what it, what it is. Like, I, I get that sometimes from, from someone in my house. They're like, I have this crazy dream. And I've learned to ask questions. Oh, what happened next? What happened next? And sometimes I need to apologize for what I did in that dream. But <laughs> so Jacob has this crazy dream and it's ingrained in his head to the point where he tells people afterwards. I had this dream. There's a stairway resting on the earth but the top was nowhere to be seen. It went all the way up to heaven. And get this, angels of God were ascending, going up and descending this stairway. It's this crazy dream. And just as you think about this one detail, you might wonder, what does this mean? When you're in a transition, when you have to move on, even though you're not ready to leave, that is one of the most lonely situations you will ever have in your life you will feel absolutely alone. You might look around like Jacob and say, there is no one here but this little pet rock. But what does God do for Jacob in this vision, in this dream? Jacob, Jacob, you are not alone. If only you could see that this seemingly random place that you happen to lay down your head, I am here. And it's like the armament of heaven. Every resource that is in heaven has a direct line to where you are. Angels coming down, angels going up. Everything you need, could possibly need, is here. You are not alone. You are protected. You are safe. You're not forgotten. That's what Jacob needed to know. And then, if that weren't crazy enough, the dream gets crazier. There above the stairway stood the Lord. And he said, I am the Lord. And just to pause, whenever you see Lord all capitalized, it's a reference to God's personal name, which we might pronounce Yahweh, but they didn't pronounce it. That's why it's Lord in the English. So Yahweh, Jehovah, he said, I am the Lord, Yahweh, the the God of your father, Abraham, and the God of Isaac. The one that helped them in their time of need is now with you. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. To which Jacob maybe thinks, I'm just trying to stay alive. And you're talking about real estate. But this was the first of a few promises that God drops into Jacob's lap. You feel forgotten. You're not sure what's ahead. I know what's ahead. I will give you and your descendants this very land that you are sleeping on right now. And then he goes on to describe these descendants. Sounds familiar. This is what he said to Abraham also. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. And when you picture this kingdom, it's just growing in every direction. Usually that's not good news for the kingdoms around you because you have to take what belongs to someone else. But here's where the promise gets interesting. He says, all peoples on earth will be blessed through you and through your offspring. Jacob, I know you feel alone right now. You might wonder if there's still a purpose in your life as you go through this transition, 
needing to move on even though you don't want to leave. This land will be yours. Your descendants will be great. And through one of your descendants, all nations on earth, all people will be blessed. And then he gives one final promise. He says, I am with you. And I will watch over you wherever you go. You don't have to be in this place for me to be with you. I will be a portable power that accompanies your every step. I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Wow. When you have to move on from something that you're not ready to leave, that will be one of the most lonely experiences you can go through as a human being. But what we need to remember is this. God is very much with you. Not just with you in a spiritual sense, or he's not just with you in your thoughts, but if you could see what's really around you, you would notice there are angels coming up and angels going down in your very presence. God is very much with you. You are not alone. And I wish I could go back to 18-year-old Matt. Tell him, good job driving the speed limit. That's good. Keep that up. You'll get fewer tickets that way. But as you leave this place where you're not ready to go from yet, you're not alone. Wherever you go, God is with you. God is very much with you. And I just have one question for you to think about. If you could have taken that with you in your last transition, the last time you had to leave but you weren't ready to go, what difference would that have made for you? And how can you take that truth with you into the future, into the next time? You're not ready to go, but it's time to leave. Let's move on and see how Jacob responds and reacts to this dream. You know, he could wake up and say, wow, that was a crazy dream. You know, texting all his friends, just listen to what happened. But instead, here's what Jacob did. When he woke from the sleep, he thought, surely this, this, the, the Lord is in this place. And I was not aware of it. So something that is kind of funny that happens to me every once in a while is I'll be at some sort of social gathering where I'm around a lot of people I don't know. And um, I'll, t- I'll talk to someone for a while and they'll be you know, sharing with me their life and they might use a few choice words you know, depending on the situation and they'll, they'll drop some you know, curse words. And then um, we'll be talking for a while and I'll say, so what do you do? And they'll tell me what they do and they'll say, so what do you do? And I'm like, well, I'm a pastor at a church in Lakeville. And they're like, oh. And I can just see they're replaying the conversation in their mind. I was not aware of that. And I'm like, it's, it's fine. It's cool. Like, I'm not offended. It's okay. It's okay. But in this moment, Jacob is like, oh, I was not aware of that. Did I say my prayers before I went to bed? Did I, did I say anything improper? Did I take off my shoes at the right? He was not aware that he was in the presence of the Lord, which, which for me is this huge takeaway. So often we think that God is at our destination. Once we get into the next place, that's where God is. But you have a God of transition. One who shows up unexpectedly in the places you would never imagine because he is very much with you. Surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. And so he, resp- he continues with this. He was afraid. He had this fear in him. 
And he said, how awesome is this place? And those two words in the yellow are both the same root word in the Hebrew. Fear. He was fearful, and he says, this is a fearful place, an awesome place. The idea being, this is worthy of note. Like, I need to warn anyone else that before they come here, like, I'm going to put up flags and warn people, God is here. And he says, this is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. God is here. And the, the Hebrew for house of God, house is bet or beth, and then God is Elohim, which can be shortened to El. And so he said, this is the beth of El. The Beth of El, the Beth of El. Bethel. Now the, the audience is like, oh, we see what you did with this certain place. So that's the story behind this place of Bethel. This is the house of God, the place where God is. And so he, he must go back to sleep or he's maybe restless until dawn. But what we know is that the next morning he got up, he took the stone he had placed under his head and he set it up as a pillar and poured oil on top of it, which was a, a symbolic way of saying something special happened here, and we need to make note of it. We need to remember it. So he called that place Bethel, house of God, even though the city used to be called Luz, which means departure. I'm not sure if there's any significance behind that name, departure, but that's what Luz means. So he changed the name because of what God had done in his transition, his time of transition. And the one thing I wanted to pull from this section is that Jacob was very much afraid. There was fear in his heart. And that's the reaction you get anytime you see someone confronted with God or an angel throughout the scriptures. There is fear. The shepherds were sore afraid when they saw the angels on the day of Jesus' birth. There's fear in the presence of God. And one thing to note is, is that when Jacob recognized this is where God is, he had that reaction. He was afraid. In the same way that you and I should be afraid in the presence of God. Now, we don't usually talk about that. Usually we talk about how God is loving and forgiving. He's full of grace, and that is all true. And there's another side to it. While we are comfortable in the, in the presence of our Father, we should also be full of fear. Not in the sense that we're, we're not sure what he's going to do, but in the sense of awe or respect. And just to help give some traction to that, um, think of some things that you are afraid of. Some of them might make sense, like you're afraid of spiders. Those things can kill you. Um, <laughs> we, we just saw a movie this last week with our kids where one of the characters is just deathly afraid of sunlight. So he's locked up in a room all day drinking um, sunblock, which I, you probably shouldn't do. But, but whatever you're afraid of has a big impact on your life. In fact, I'll put it this way. You actually arrange your life around your fears. The way you spend your money, the, the way you, you, you travel, the, the way you plan for the future. You've got certain fears and you arrange your life around those. And that's not a bad thing. You should, you should have a healthy amount of fear for what might come so that you can arrange your life around what might happen. But as you think about that concept, isn't it true that above all else, we should fear God? We should arrange our lives around him first and foremost. Not in the sense that we're afraid of what he might do, but we have this 
this awareness of his presence wherever we go. So number two, fear God above all things. When you're in a time of transition, there's going to be so many things you're afraid of. Uncertainty about the future, not sure if you'll get to, to ever see again the people from your past, all sorts of fears that might come up. Above all, would you fear God? Arrange your life around him. Have an awareness that he is with you. And then finally for Jacob, he puts all this together and he comes up with a vow as he thinks about this promise. We'll finish up. He says, Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me, and in English, this sounds like a conditional statement. In the Hebrew, it could go either way where it could say, since God will be with me. So just don't put too much weight on the word if, that's kind of all I'm saying. He says, if God will be with me and will watch over me on this journey I am taking and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear so that I return safely to my father's household. In other words, if God does what he has promised, then this will happen. The Lord will be my God. If he does this one thing for me, even if he does nothing else for my entire life, I'm okay with that. If he does what he has promised, he's my Lord. He's my God. And this stone that I have set up as a pillar will be God's house. I will come back to this place and truly make it a house of God. And all that you give me, Lord, I will give you back a tenth. He's pre-planning his celebration of praise. When God does what he has promised, here's what I will do. Not as a way to bargain or negotiate, but he's calling, the, calling his shot. When God does as he's promised, here's how I will celebrate. Now, as, as you think about the faith that Jacob had in, had in this moment, you might think, wow, that's a really amazing, strong faith. There were no doubts. And we often equate faith and doubt as opposites. Like doubt is the opposite of faith, but it's actually not that, that way. In your times of transition where you need to move on, but you don't want to leave, your faith is going to get tested. Will you hold on to these promises of God? Will you predetermine your celebration at the end of it? Or will you have doubts? Doubt is not the opposite of faith. The opposite of faith is actually certainty. You don't need faith if you're certain how things will go. You don't need faith if you can see what it is you're having faith in. Faith by nature is all about uncertainty, and uncertainty yields doubt. So as, as you think about this transition that you might be in, having to leave when you're not ready to go, remember your faith. Not about having certainty about what lies ahead. Not about being free from doubt. But faith simply holds on to what God has promised and says, God if you do as you have promised, I need nothing else from you. I'm not going to demand any more than what you have already promised to me. And if you do that, we are good. So the specific application for this is to say, pick specific promises of God and, and make them portable so that they can go with you as you leave when it's time to move on. And portable simply means maybe they're on the home screen of your phone, maybe they're on your bathroom mirror, but they're in a place where you can remember these promises of God. And if you're wondering, where do I find these promises of God? Do a Google search for this thing called God's Yellow Pages. Now, if you're young, you might not know what Yellow Pages are. 
That's okay. Just Google it anyway. You'll come up with a list of situations like anxiety, stress, temptation, worry, indulgence, these things that might be afflicting you during your time of transition, and you can find those passages and say, I will take this promise with me. And God, if you do nothing else, I'm okay with that. And ultimately, the biggest thing that we can hold on to is so incredible. God has promised to take away your sin, and he did it. And during your time when, when you, you're not sure how things are going to go, you're going to want to add to what God has promised. God, I want this too. God, I want certainty for my future. God, I want this job. God, I want that boyfriend or that girlfriend. God, I want this to happen for my kids. And it's so easy to lay these expectations on top of God, but my encouragement in your time of transition, just take what God has already promised and say, God, if you do nothing else for me, yet you will be my God because of what you have already done in Christ. Speaking of Christ, just as Jesus was beginning his, his public ministry where people got to know him, he, he came up to a guy named Philip. And he said, Philip, your life's about to change. Follow me. We're going to do some great things. And talked to Philip for a while. Philip was like, this is, this is the real deal. This is the Messiah. And so Philip went and found Nathaniel. Nathaniel was sitting under a fig tree. Philip's like, Nathaniel, come see this Jesus guy. And Jesus sees him. And he's like, you're an extraordinary man, Nathaniel. Uh, there is none like you in Israel. And Nathaniel's like, we've never met before. Kind of awkward. How do you know me? And Jesus said, I saw you before Philip got you sitting under the fig tree, which was a sign to Nathaniel. He knows more than any human being can know. And Nathaniel said, you are the son of God. You are the Messiah. <laughs> and Jesus, I'm sure he kind of chuckles. He's like, man, you're, you're easier than I thought. <laughs> Jesus said this to Nathaniel. He said, because, you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree? Come here. You're going to see greater things than that. Then he added, very truly, I, I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending not on a stairway, but on the Son of God. And what Jesus was alluding to is something that Jacob could have only dreamed of. This stairway that would literally follow him around, always having legions of angels at his disposal. And yet the way for Jesus to do this, to, to unite heaven and earth would not be through a stairway, but through a sacrifice. What I find truly remarkable is that for Jesus, he, he had to move on from a place that I can't even describe. The eternal Son of God had to move on from heaven to inhabit a human body. And yet, he was ready to leave. He was ready, he was willing and joyful to come and inhabit a human body so that he might take on himself the punishment of the sin of the world. And I can't imagine what that transition must have been like for him to set aside the glories of heaven to inhabit a body that would break and die. And yet he left, he moved on, he came here so that he could give to you something Jacob could only dream of 
heaven at your disposal. Um, one, one quick thing, uh, a pastor, a friend of mine, Darren, he's in uh, Texas. He, we were talking once about you know, how to prioritize family and how to you know, basically organize your life so that you're faithful at work and faithful at home. And he came up with this really great saying. He said, you can always be available, but you can't always be accessible. So as, as a father, as a husband, I can always be available. I'm always a text message away but I can't always be accessible. There's gonna be times where I'm in meetings, where I'm doing something. So I can always be available, but I can't always be accessible. And the amazing thing is Jesus made both things true of heaven. The power and the peace of heaven are always available and always accessible. And as you think about the amazing miracle that is, what would that change about your life right now? Number four, through Jesus, heaven is always available and always accessible. It is one breath away, one prayer away. Not because you've done something to reach heaven, but because Jesus brought heaven to you. So what I know is that someday, we will all move on from here. We will be called from this life to the next. What if, when that day comes, heaven will not be some amazing surprise that you had no idea what it was like? But what if throughout your life, you have been gaining access to heaven itself, to the power and peace that can only come from heaven? What if you experience that by t bringing this amazing good news of forgiveness into each and every transition so that you know that even though you might not have a certainty for what's ahead, you have faith in the promises that God absolutely will keep? What if heaven were now? And the amazing thing is that because of Jesus, it is. Heaven is always available heaven is always accessible. So as you think about the times where it's, it's time to move on, but you're not quite ready to leave, would you remember that God is very much with you? Very much with you. And would you remember that you can take his promises with you wherever you may go, because heaven is always available and accessible in him. Let's pray. Almighty God, the, the very nature of our lives is that we will go through changes. There's wonderful, glorious chapters where so much fun things happen, relationships created, amazing things are done, but inevitably every chapter must come to an end. And sometimes we're not ready for that. Sometimes there's a lot of uncertainty and fear over the things that might come ahead. And we all know the, the dangers of trying to hold on to something even though it's already passed. So as we think about the life of Jacob and what you did for him, would you please do the same for us through Christ? Help us to remember that you are very much with us. Help us to remember to fear you above all things and to take your promises with us in a portable way so that even if you do nothing else for us, we will be okay with that. Guide and bless us and thank you for the gift of Jesus who brings heaven to us along with its power and its peace, both now and forever. Amen.